Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, we just marked Indigenous Peoples Day. And if you are anything like me, you are thinking a lot about the Native people whose land we're on. Pittsburgh has an incredibly rich and often shameful history with the Native groups who lived here. I'm with Miguel Soge. He knows the Indigenous history behind the neighborhoods we consider home. It's Tuesday, October 11th. I'm Elizabeth Kaba, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So, Miguel, in school, we were always taught about Native history as ending way in the past, especially here in Pennsylvania. But we actually had a reservation in our region in the 60s. What happened? That's a good question. Uh, The last bit of land that was left in Western Pennsylvania was a little tiny reservation along the Allegheny River, our river, the river, the same river that we sit on, but a little bit further upstream in a place called Corn Planter in Warren County, Corn Planters Grant. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? George Washington signed that treaty. You're going to be able to keep this land. We took everything else, but you're allowed to keep this land. And then you also are going to be able to keep some reservations uh, north of the border in New York State. There were three major reservations there, but you can keep that last one in Pennsylvania. Uh, That didn't last very long. In 1965, Pittsburghers decided that they were sick and tired of all the flooding here. You know, the Allegheny River kept flooding all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, any old timers can tell you that the water downtown would reach like second and third floor of some of those buildings in downtown Pittsburgh. That was not going to do. So they put together a flood control project that the centerpiece of that flood control project was a gigantic dam in Warren County called the Kinzua Dam. And guess what that did? That flooded out the whole reservation in Warren County. All those people were forced to move across the border north into New York State. And, you know, the argument that's always said to those those people, what are you guys complaining about? We're moving you out of your lands, out of your territory, but you're going north and there's Senecas living there. And my response to that is think in terms like this. Mm Mm-hmm. We have houses, we have property here in Western Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh and so forth. Mm -hmm. Imagine somebody coming and telling you, you're going to have to give up your house, you're going to have to give up your property, you're going to have to give up your your life, life, uh, the way you make a living, Mm -hmm. and move across the border into Ohio. But don't worry, there's white people living there too, so you'll be fine. Wow. I mean, that's a difficult history that Pittsburgh has to contend with. Well, the... (laughs) You have to understand a little bit about the history of Western Pennsylvania as a whole and Pittsburgh in general, is that that history is everywhere, all over the place, surrounding us. We just don't, we take it for granted. We just don't see it. Every time we go to the town of Aliquippa and say the name Aliquippa, we're saying the name of an important indigenous matriarch, a woman that was very important in this area. Mm-hmm. If we go to Sharpsburg, the main street in Sharpsburg, uh, there's an intersection in which there has always been a statue of one of the greatest chiefs of this area, a Seneca chief by the name of Gayasuda. And there's a Boy Scout camp not too far from that, also called Camp Gayasuda. 
Everywhere you go in Pittsburgh, there's indigenous history. You can't avoid it. And so we should be aware of that as Pittsburghers and as Western Pennsylvanians. I mean, so whose land are we on? Let's talk a little bit about the Seneca people because they really dominated this period, this area in the 1700s mm-hmm. when the first in, uh, colonists began to come into this area. They are a, a group, a nation, that uh, belonged to a language family that was spread out all over this region, not just Pennsylvania, but also west into Ohio, south into Maryland, north into Canada, and as far east as New England. Mm-hmm. Those That was that gigantic area taken up by the Iroquois. That's the, the language family. And of those people, there's something like 15 tribes involved. But five of them are the ones that we really like to focus on. The Seneca, the Cayuga, the Onondagas, the Oneidas, and the Mohawks. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those names are probably very familiar to people because these are names of people that everybody has heard. Okay, The Senecas, the Cayugas, the Onondagas, the Oneidas, and the Mohawks united into a confederacy, which was rejected by some of the other tribes. They invited the other Iroquois tribes to join them, but those guys turned them down. And so it just ended up five of them. And they became very powerful because of their unity. You know, in unity, there is strength. That's what they, people always say. And that happened to this group. They became so powerful that other indigenous people of the area who tried to challenge their, their possession of the uh, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio area uh, did not succeed. Hey, Pittsburgh, I want to tell you about a real steel town hero. Mary Cardwell Dawson was just the coolest. Not only was she the proprietess of that gorgeous Victorian mansion on Apple Street in Homewood, but inside it, she presided over the National Negro Opera Company. She founded guilds for other black singers all over the nation, and she was a mentor for fellow opera singers from here to Washington, D.C. And lucky for you, our modern Pittsburgh opera has a show celebrating her legacy. Get your tickets now for The Passion of Mary Cardwell Dawson. It's at the Bayam Theater through May 5th. And don't be nervous if you're new to opera. The show is in English. It's just over an hour and features a little dialogue for folks to follow along. Tickets start at just $15, and there are all kinds of discounts and special offers for students, teachers, seniors, and veterans. Get your tickets now in our show notes for the Pittsburgh Opera. That's at pittsburghopera.org. So does that mean that it was mainly people who spoke Iroquoian in this region? So as time went on, people kept getting pushed out of their home territory and then asked permission of the Iroquois to move into Iroquois land. And since a lot of the Iroquois land was controlled by this one Iroquois tribe, the Senecas, they ended up hosting these people. The two most important ones were people that came from the Philadelphia area, which was the Delaware. They they call themselves the Lenape. So these Lenape or Delaware uh, were actually driven out of eastern Pennsylvania and came into Seneca territory. They were welcomed in and they were allowed to settle in the, the most important Lenape village was a, a village in what is now uh, Lawrenceville. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, right there in um, Arsenal Park. Huh. And then there, there was another group that came uh, from the south and they 
uh, also made their presence here. They're called the Shawnee. Mm -hmm. And the Shawnee were a very strong non-Iroquoian tribe that were allowed to live in this area under the uh, control of the Seneca people. Uh, and you, if you went to any of these villages, whether it was Shanapinstown in Lawrenceville, or if you went up the uh, Ohio River into where McKees, McKees, McKees Rocks, or you go up the Allegheny River towards uh, Route uh, 28, towards Kitanning, all of those places are native, were native villages. This is such a rich history. Do you think that this is just a case of, you know, history is written by the victors and that's why we don't generally learn it? So so to a, to a certain extent, that's part of it is, mm -hmm. you know, the native people actually were considered an obstacle in the westward progress uh, of the colonial era of, of first of pre-revolution America, which is English. And then later on, uh, after the United States became a country after the revolution, uh, the indigenous people became a real obstacle. And so because the indigenous people were seen always as the enemy, they've been kind of like written out of American history in favor of the colonists. The colonists get center stage and the Indians are just mentioned in passing as mm -hmm. an obstacle that the colonists had to overcome. So you never hear the names of the great chiefs or the great leaders or even, you know, the people that lived in this area. You didn't have to be a great chief or a great leader, just people, just mm -hmm. normal people living their lives in this area, trying to make a living and then being being uh, their, their lives and their traditions being totally wrecked. I mean, yeah, that's a huge loss. I know we've been talking a lot about indigenous history, but there are native communities here today. Could you tell me about them? So, you know, Pittsburgh and the whole region around Pittsburgh for a long time was a hub of industrial activity. Mm -hmm. And of course, that draws people from everywhere. You know, people from, from other countries. There are lots of people from Eastern Europe that came, you know, created the wonderful neighborhoods that we have, uh, multi-ethnic neighborhoods that we have in Pittsburgh. But it also drew Native people from other parts of the country who came here looking for work. Mm -hmm. They came here looking to work in the in the coal mines. They came here looking for to work in the steel mills, the glass factories. Mm -hmm. And so we got a brand new uh, crop of indigenous people that were not originally from Western Pennsylvania. And now our community, our native community here in Pittsburgh is composed of all these people. Yeah, we still have some Senecas, not too many, but we still have some Senecas living in Pittsburgh. But most of them are from, you know, their Creek, their Cherokees, their Seminoles, all kinds of different out of state tribes. Miguel Suge is a board member at the Council of Three Rivers American Indian Center. Thanks so much for talking with me. It's been a pleasure. news before you go. Pittsburgh school bus drivers have raised concerns for a while about cars illegally passing them while they're stopped and picking up kids. Now the district's installing AI cameras for all its buses to try and cut down on the problem. School officials say this is a self-funded program. When drivers get fined, the money gets split between the district, bus patrol, and police. And the silver screen could make a triumphant return downtown. 
Pittsburgh's Cultural Trust wants to convert the Old Bally Total Fitness Club on 6th Street into a movie theater and entertainment space. That would be a return to the building's roots. It started out hosting vaudeville acts and eventually screened movies. The Trust came up with this plan years ago as part of its Building on the Dream Capital campaign. But COVID put things on hold. Now the group's doing a big survey to make sure that there's still interest in a downtown theater. The project could cost up to $16 million, which the Trust hopes to raise by the end of the year. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. And until then, don't pass any school buses if you're on the road, and we'll see you soon. I make my own energy drinks because I'm psychotic.